Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a desk. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The role of Alana will be played by Sherry Elise from New York City, and the role of Rini will be played by Adam Osella from Maryland. Lights up on Infinity Flux, a small, quirky comic book and game store. At Rise, Rennie, the proprietor of Infinity Flux, shelves new comic book issues that have just been delivered. After a few moments, Alana comes in the store. Welcome to Infinity Flux. Congrats on being our first customer of the day. Of the week, actually. Show's initiative. That's a superpower. Let me know if you need help finding anything. I'm fine. I'll just browse. Thanks. Sure, do your thing. I'm here for you. Elena wanders the store. Every few minutes, she looks back at Rennie. Rennie continues to unpack crates and rearrange figurines glancing up at her periodically to see if she needs help. You worried I'll steal something? Shove a Superman in my purse? (laughs) Definitely not. Just wanted to help. And you're not a Superman reader. Really? Spidey, maybe. More likely Storm. I don't know who that is. (laughs) I am truly sorry for you. Seriously, let me help you. I can be very helpful. It's one of my superpowers. Sure. I I thought I might find something for my son. He likes comic books. Absolutely. What's he into? We've got everything. What's he into? (laughs) That's a good question. How old is he? Why? Well, they're not all appropriate for all ages. He's over 18, so no problem there. Great. Would you like a recommendation? I love to give recommendations. I would appreciate that. Right now, I'm loving Saga. Great art, excellent characters, sexy, but not in a patriarchal way. Unpredictable. That's my favorite thing. But the surprises feel organic. To the themes. I will take a look at that. They're on hiatus right now, unfortunately, so the story is only halfway told. That worries some people. Like, it'll never be finished, but I trust the creators. I'm pretty trusting. It's one of my superpowers. Superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and flaws, probably. But I don't see it like that. Anyway, I wouldn't let that stop me from picking up the series. Even if the story ends halfway through, it was still a fantastic ride. And I have all kinds of ideas about where it might go. Even if I don't get to see it through. Kind of like life. That also makes it great for somebody jumping in late. Like your son. They've got time to catch up before the creators put out a new issue. I'm blathering. Let me show you the shelves. We've got the individual issues collected into trade paperbacks. Ten stories in each volume. But the publishers are coming out soon with a compendium of the entire series so far. It'll include every volume up to the halfway point. So you could always just wait a couple months. You're not much of a salesman. 
<laughs> Excuse me? Don't tell me about something that isn't out yet. Sell me the ones that you've got. Don't let me walk out of here without them just because something else is coming out soon. I want you to buy the format that's best for you. No. You should want me to buy the format that's best for you. The one that makes the sale. I don't think so. This is your place? Yes. Seems like you're doing it out of love of the art, not the business. I don't love business. It's just a means to be around the art. You'll never make a living at it that way. You just really reminded me of someone. That's my superpower. I'm always reminding people of someone. Mm-hmm. The trade paperbacks are on that shelf. Alphabetical by author. Saga is under V for Vaughn. Rennie goes back to the front of the store. Wait! Sorry, I... I was just trying to help. I don't need any help. You sure about that? I was trying to help you. Look, I didn't mean to get off on the wrong foot. I know the building is up for sale. So? You really think a new owner is going to keep a shop like this when they could rent to someone who actually makes a profit? It's the nature of this business. Happens to comic shops all the time. Especially when the rent keeps climbing. It won't be up to me. But it could be up to me. I'm considering buying the building. Seriously? You're on the ground floor of a potentially lucrative property. I don't want to see this place turned into a coffee shop or a designer boutique or, or something. Why not? This isn't just a comic shop, is it? We've also got games. Friday Night is for Magic. Magic the Gathering. We only do random draws, no collector advantages. Everybody starts with an unopened pack. Level playing field. The way it should be. Saturdays there's live music. I don't play myself. I'm an appreciator. I make the space available. That's another one of my superpowers. What if the new building owner was also an appreciator? One can hope. That's not all this place is, though, is it? You live here, too? In the back? It's your home. You didn't mention that. How do you know that? It's important to do your research if you're thinking about buying a property. You need to know what the liabilities are, whether or not you're going to need to evict anyone. You can't rely on trust. You need facts. And money. I wouldn't change this ground floor unit at all. That sounds like a poor investment strategy. You really are a terrible salesman. I'm not interested in being a salesman. I'm honest. And I don't like being beholden to anyone. I don't like not knowing what's going on around me, or what my relationship is to something, or someone. I usually have a really good sense of that kind of thing. And, yeah, it's a superpower. It's helped keep me alive through some pretty tough times. What's going on here? I woke up this morning with a funny feeling. 
a feeling like something was about to shift. And then you walked in here, and everything did. I hate the idea of losing this store because the building gets sold. But I understand it. It's capitalism. It's why I'd rather tell you to come back in two months for the book you actually want, even if my store isn't here at that point, than hide it from you. Lie to you. Not saying is also lying. You don't know anything about comics. Why would you even want to... Or do you? Who are you really? Are you actually some huge creator? That's why you look familiar. And this is going to be a pet project. You are, aren't you? I should have known. Something's fishy when a black woman hasn't heard of Storm. I've really never heard of Storm. If you don't know anything about my business, except the business part, which is crappy by definition, why are we having this conversation? I wanted to meet you. Me? Not meet exactly. We know each other. You sure? You knew I wouldn't read Superman. Steal. I said you wouldn't steal Superman. I didn't think you'd like him. He's pretty much invulnerable. Why wouldn't I like an invulnerable character? I just get that sense. Storm isn't invulnerable? It's different. More nuanced. It's not that she can't be hurt. Who can relate to that? There's more going on. Storm isn't just about controlling the weather. She transforms matter, sculpts energy, doesn't create it or destroy it, so nothing really disappears. It's like things shift. Like when I walked in here? Maybe. Time stops for a second. Does that happen to you a lot? Not all the time, but yeah, it's how I experience the world. It happened to me. In a big way. A long time ago. Just so I'm clear on this, if you buy this building and you let me stay here, even if I don't make a dime, is this the price? That I have to listen to your stories? Yeah. I guess it is. Transactional, just not monetary. That too high a price? You wanted to know what your relationship was to... me. But you don't trust me. Admit it, you don't. I'm not used to that. You said you felt it when I walked in this morning. You called it a, a shift. I felt it before I opened the door. I, I almost didn't open the door. I've almost opened the door so many times. In Chattanooga and at Vanderbilt. So many times. This was different. It, it's going to sound crazy but it felt like the door was going to open whether I touched it or not. It, it was... time to make things right. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I think you do. That first time I felt it, it wasn't like the energy shifted. It was more like all the energy disappeared. Everything was completely still. Like I was the only one on earth. It was the beginning of time. You were almost 10 and it was the beginning of time. You were always so fragile. That's what they would say about you. The doctors, this little boy is fragile. When you were eight and your lung collapsed, I, I, I thought I was dying. Every time you were admitted, I died a little. I'd already lost your father. It was too much for me. You were in and out of the hospital. We could lose you at any moment. Even as a child, you were perched between life and... Please, say something. I loved you. Too much, maybe. But I felt myself edging away, not giving you what you deserved because I was terrified. But you had your abuelo. He knew how to love you, take care of you better than I ever could. And then that terrible day, the chaos and smoke and, and so many people that were never found, I slipped away. God, forgive me, it was so easy. I saw this opportunity to, to start again, be, be anyone, no strings. It sounds horrible. I was a mother, but I, I couldn't. Please understand, I had nothing to give you, to give anyone. If I left, nothing would change at all. I lost you, but I wouldn't have to, to keep feeling the constant fear of losing you, it had already happened. I moved away. I changed my name. I didn't know at first that your abuelo had moved you out of New York. Not until a few years later. I was afraid to try to follow your progress. What if I learned that you had... So I shut it all out. I started teaching, volunteering, politics, prisons, food banks, whatever I could find. I poured myself into it, lost myself. It felt good. I wrote a book. I made some money. I wrote another one. I made more money. I kept volunteering made a lot of donations. I was successful in, in a way I'd never been before. I was standing on my own two feet, self-contained. Finally, fulfilling my potential, whatever that is. I started thinking, what's it for? I'm alone, I'm safe, 
but I'm alone. I had figured out at that point that you were in Tennessee. I started scanning the local newspapers, high school graduations, eventually college. There was a huge write-up when you got that posse scholarship to Vanderbilt. And four years later, I came so close to watching you walk across that stage. I chickened out. But I've always been so proud of you. You don't know me. I feel like I do. From a distance. Watching. Not, not obsessively, but more and more as time went by and you were okay. More than okay. It was safe to watch. Then I saw this, this article about a struggling comic book store with so much community support, but no money. And the picture, you, you looked strong. Like you, like a grown version of you, but strong. And I had had nothing to do with that. I wouldn't say that. You grow up without something, you learn how to fill in the gaps. It's all right to be angry. Angry? We thought you were dead. We buried your shoes. Your goddamn shoes! I deserve this. You hate me. I understand. I'm feeling too many things to label it with just one word. Please! Listen. I don't know how else to explain it. I thought you were... I kept hearing it in my head. This little boy is fragile. It was me. I was too fragile. For you. That's not fragile. It's weak. Not anymore. I swear it. This is too much to process. It was wrong. What I did, I knew it almost immediately, but I didn't know how to go back. Stop. You didn't know, even a little, when I walked in? You said I reminded you of someone. You didn't feel like I was still out there, alive, this whole time. I feel like everyone we've lost is still out there. Abuelo, I have tea with him sometimes. Dad, the patients who died in my hospital room before I moved into it, nothing is created or destroyed. I thought you were like that, like them, in the air around me. I was. You felt like I was. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I, I want to fix it. I, I can't fix it. But, but I can. I can do something. 
for you. Please let me. But it's up to you. I have a life in another state and, and I can go back to it. Vanish again. Or I can buy this building and give you a home. One that isn't going to disappear under you because you don't have any money. That's something I can give you. You just have to trust me. Can you trust me? You said that was one of your... I got that power from Abuelo, not from you. I know. He was so... Don't talk about him. You don't have the right to talk about him. He spent his last 20 years raising me. He did a wonderful job. That little boy is still fragile. And I'm fine with that. The people who love me, they're fine with that. I don't have time for anyone who isn't. I just... I wasn't up to the challenge. I'm up for it now. I don't need you now. No. Of course not. You're a grown man. I'm sorry. Just know that I'm truly sorry. I wish I'd been a different person. I wish I'd been me now. But that's that's not how it works. It's too late. I get it. I don't know what I was thinking. Good luck. With everything. Alana starts to exit. I don't need you. That's the first thing you have to get into your head. You aren't buying this building because I need you to. You're buying it because you need to. Because you have things to make up for. For yourself. I can help you with that. That's what I do. Lights fade. Humanities Tennessee is pleased to announce that the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga and the Lights Up Podcast are grant recipients to the Sustaining the Humanities to the American Rescue Plan grant program. A program made possible by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, approved by the U.S. Congress and signed into law on March 11. Because of this program, Humanities Tennessee is able to provide $941,454 to 91 organizations throughout the state. The purpose of SHARP grants is to support jobs in the humanities, keep humanities organizations open, and assist the field in its response to and recovery from the needs created or exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. These grants may focus on humanities projects or leveraging operational support stemming from the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic. 
also help organizations plan for the future and begin the long process of response and recovery to the pandemic. ETC and the Lights Up podcast would like to thank Humanities Tennessee and the National Endowment for the Humanities for this amazing opportunity. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Lights Up here in season three. Christy, can you believe it? Oh, no, I can hardly believe it. It's so exciting, honestly, to see where this has gone from just such a small little let's all keep our mental sanity during COVID idea. I know. And we are very, very lucky today. And part of being able to have a season three means we get to have repeat guests and repeat playwrights. So we're very, very happy to welcome back to Lights Up. Dana Leslie Goldstein. Hello. Hello. I am so happy to be here. I had such a good time last year. Um, and it's really nice to see you guys, Dana and Christy. It, it, uh, and Gary, too, even though he's off camera. Yes, we can't forget our fearless, <laughs> invisible leader and producer, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say off camera, off, off, uh, off podcast. Yes. Well, sometimes he pops in. We never know what's going to happen. And we, we're going to jump right in um, with Fragile. And oh, Christy, I know you have our actors who we should give a nod to who did that brilliant performance of Fragile. Yes, we got to listen to Adam and Sherry bring Fragile to life. And if you wouldn't mind, Dana, to give us a little bit of background of when you wrote Fragile and what inspired it. Yeah, um, it's a, it's, there's a lot of pieces to this one. Um, so let's see, first of all, um, not this past summer, but the summer before, uh, my son was doing an engineering program at UT Chattanooga. Um, and so I visited him in Chattanooga a couple of times. And I'm a giant nerd. So I, you know, saw a sign downtown for Infinity Flux comics um, and just kind of went on a scavenger hunt to try and find this comic book shop. Um, and found it. And it's a wonderful comic book and game store. Um, and I thought, you know what, I want to, I want to set something in this store. Um, and the other place actually that I fell in love with in Chattanooga was, um, was the pinball museum. So at some point I'm going to set a play in the pinball museum, but I haven't done that yet. Um, but so it was a combination of, um, being in infinity flux and being inspired in there. Um, and also, um, and I think I might have mentioned this last year when you guys did the God part. Um, I'm part of a theater company in New York um, called the Workshop Theater. And we have this festival that we do every year called Out of the Hat, where we pull actors' headshots from the hat. Does it sound familiar? Um, and we yes. write things to a theme that, um, and you have no idea who you're going to get, who, which which actors you're going to be working with. Um, so my process is I'll pull these headshots out of a hat. And this year I got two wonderful actors who I interviewed. I shouldn't say this year, it was last year. Um, and I wrote these parts for these two actors, but I wrote it in a combination of being for them, but also with infinity flux in the back of my head and also me being a giant comic book nerd. Um, so it kind of, it came out of all those things. Um, and it turns out that that New York Comic Con is the weekend right before you guys are going to air this episode. So I guess as people are hearing this, I will have spent the previous four days at New York Comic Con <laughs> completely geeking out. And then the last piece is, um, you know, I'm a I'm a New Yorker who was here during 9 11, 
Um, and I'm also a parent um, with all kinds of parental insecurities and, and you know, the, the idea of being a mother of a kid who, um, you know, has, has needs and maybe you're not up to it was the other piece of what inspired it. So lots of stuff going on in this 20 minute play. Quite amazing that you have, you know, inspiration from Chattanooga, which obviously is near and dear to ETC. And I know um, there's going to be some hope that they can produce Fragile down there as well. And then I love to also someone in New York, um, I loved that there was the 9-11 part to that there, but it's not a 9-11 play per se. Um, and then we also hear about, um, and forgive this term, it's going to be too generalized and blunt, but kind of the absent mother when we often so much hear about the absent father, like that seems to be the bigger one in the zeitgeist, right? That we hear often about is that trope of like the deadbeat dad or the absent father. Um, and here we have it from the maternal perspective. So I loved one of the, I mean, I loved many things about Fragile, but one of the things I really loved was that um, it's all very real, true, uh, inspired events that are common, but are often maybe not common in um, the, the the themes of theater and television and stuff, right? It's it's like, these are true stories for people who live their lives, um, but they're just often not voiced in this way. So I, I loved that you reached from all over to kind of bring this together in a one nice, complete meal. Um, how long did it take you to piece all that together? I, you know, it was, I think the first draft came pretty fast, um, but the, you know, I'm still working on it. Um, you know, it, it will, I'm, this is going to sound weird, but I'm actually talking to um, a composer about potentially turning it into a musical um, and really kind of an operetta, maybe, I'm not sure, um, and elongating it um, so that, you know, it, it, maybe this is, I haven't decided yet. Maybe this is the inception moment of their, the healing of their relationship. And now we see where it goes from there, or maybe it takes longer. Maybe she's visited the store multiple times before she, you know, actually tells him who she is. Um, that I haven't figured that out yet, but uh, it's a composer I've worked with once before that I want to work with again. Um, so we're talking about maybe doing something um, around expanding it. But it, it just had a really nice reading um, uh, through American Stage in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, that, you know, gave me all kinds of ideas, too. So, you know, when when this is my problem, but whenever someone asks me how long it took me to write something, I'm always like, I don't know yet, because <laughs> you know, because I never finish. I'm always rewriting. Um, so, you know, the I think that what you have really what you're asking is how long it took to write this version. And I I, I would say probably you know from idea to to the version you have maybe a couple of months um it was a it was a faster one for me um because something something about it poured out um you know mostly mostly I, I think just Alana's admission once I knew where she was going it just kind of it just kind of poured um but it what you were saying Dana about you know about absent mothers you know, I just think there is there is so much more stigma 
around the idea that a, a mother could leave her children, you know, from like a doll's house on, you know, even in theater. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a sin, um, you know, in a way that, you know, not that it's not terrible for father leaves, but it, but boy, the, um, yeah, the, 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 I don't even know what the right word is. Just the, you know, the way that people look at you, if you, if a woman has left her children is, you know, it's just, it's a, it's, it's huge. Um, it's stigma and judgment and there's this, and Chrissy, I know you're going to have a lot to say about this as an actual mother, right? But there's this feeling in society that the burden of childcare and responsibility is all on that mother figure, regardless Right. And I mean, like the first example that popped into my head is all the flack that Olivia Wilde is getting. She's shared like, you know, everyone's making a big deal about her dating Harry Styles, this younger man. And she has two kids. And it's like, yeah. So that's like a perfect example of like, oh, no, no, no. They've separated. You're not allowed to date anyone. You're not allowed to go out on date night. You're not allowed. No, no, no. You must be with children at all times. It's it's very. um I don't know. I mean, Christy, you are a working mom, so you have, you know, insight on this that I don't, but it's, it's interesting. But I did love that about this play that it does, it shed light on, it's hard. You don't always feel up to it. I can't imagine, you know, the, the character, I can't imagine the battle that she was trying to fight and just been like, I don't have this. I don't, you know, I, I don't got this. I have to go. Um, you know, that, that feeling of heaviness and inadequacy and drowning, I do think can be so universal in our own platform. Certainly it's prevalent in motherhood and not addressed often enough. Um, and with this, because the whole concept of secret identities, I just loved throughout this piece. I'm glad you got that. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's just so, so wonderful. Like, it made me think of that quote that we all know or a version of it of, you know, be kind to everyone because everyone is fighting a secret battle you know nothing about. And, you know, here she walks into his store and, you know, there's immediately um, uh, raw dynamics based on assumptions on both parties. For him, it's a potential customer. And for her, that gun is much more loaded with a whole lot more information that he does not yet have. And, um, I, for, for me, there was just so much there to dive into, to unpack it. It, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it outside of this heavy ache that it gives inside me to imagine this mom feeling totally overwhelmed and empty handed. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, and I think as, you know, as mothers, you know, I, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I, the burden I know that I've put on myself to be the, such a good mother, you know, that it, I think it makes me a less good mother because I've put such a burden on myself to be a good mother. Um, and, you know, and, and if you want the best for your kids and you feel like you are not what's best for your kids is the answer then to leave. It's, yeah, it's, I don't, you know, these are, these are all questions that I've had, you know, in my own parenting, you know, like, am I up to this? Maybe I'm not. What if, you know, and if I'm not, then what? Um, 
And that makes it so universal, right? I mean, I am not a parent. I have done a lot of childcare, but I've also had very deep, intense relationships where I feel like I've had, no, I've left myself no room for error to be human, to be, mm-hmm. to be that, right? And then how does that in turn affect the relationship? And so, you know, mothers, women, um, of all kinds can can identify with this struggle, which is what's so lovely about putting that into your art is you actually, by by sharing those feelings of isolation, you actually bring everybody in, which is, you know, what we love about your writing so much. Thank we saw you. that in the God part as well, dealing with those, those themes of those, the couple um, dealing with that struggle. I would also love to ask, um, as a New Yorker, um, I think everyone around the world also has their own emotional tie to 9-11. Um, but as a New Yorker, right, that's uh, something that we dealt with very heavily and then continue to deal with. How was it to write a play that's not a 9-11 play, but include that? And where did your um, where did the idea to make that kind of be the impetus for leaving or the way out? It's oddly enough, 9-11 was her way out, which is um, a whole flipped perspective on that event. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so, you know, I, I actually have a, an entire musical that I've written that, that kind of confronts nine 11 head on um, that also has a comic book element. Um, but uh, so I've kind of written my nine 11 piece. Um, it was, you know, done in the New York musical theater festival and, um, it's about a woman comic book writer um, who loses someone on 9-11 um, and there are no superheroes. You know, she's a, she's she has superheroes that she writes, but there are no superheroes who could save the day that day. Um, so, you know, I have my 9-11 play um, and this was somehow different, but I, I always had that feeling of, you know, there were, this is going to sound terrible, but there were, there were many, many people who weren't found. Um, and, you know, I, I, there was someone who I knew well who passed away on 9-11 and he, he was someone who, whose body was found very quickly. Um, and I always thought, wow, you know, that's, that's, that was in this terrible moment that was kind of a comfort for his wife and children, for his family, that they knew what happened. They, they were able to bury him. They were able to, you know, but there were all these people that weren't found. And then there was this other part of me that was like, what if you didn't want to be found? You know, what if you were someone who disappeared um, deliberately? And that was a day that people could. And, you know, for me, in some weird way, it's connected to superheroes, you know, just in terms of invisibility, um, you know, as a, as a power that, you know, if you, if you could be invisible and watch your life go on without you, you know, if you just, you know, if you could disappear, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's just that weird idea has been in my head for a long time of disappearance. And it's, it's, um, you know, I'm going to call it a fantasy. It's a horrible fantasy, but there's, you know, that feeling of, you know, what if you could just disappear from your life and start again and a horrible event like nine 11, um, or any disaster where there's a lot of people who aren't found is a moment where somebody could take, take advantage of that moment and begin again. Um, 
until they can't anymore. And, you know, and for Alana, you know, I think she, she reaches a point where she can't hide behind the secret identity anymore. You know, she has to come back to, you know, to the truth and face it. Um, but, you know, in leaving him, he's kind of become his own superhero. Rennie is, is, you know, he's, he's got superpowers that, you know, are, are, um, are, I think in the next installment of this going to, going to help her, you know, so. I wanted to ask a little bit about exploring the Rennie character and his, his emotional reaction to this being his mom and, you know, the years that he had to process his own feelings you know, his own journey of, of her leaving. And I loved the Abuelo character. We um, only get the flavors from what they both say about him, but I really, I really enjoyed that character. But I wanted to ask a little bit um, about Rennie, especially towards the end and that, that human impulse that we do have to both be in community, but then also feel heard and seen. And I feel like that battle is so under the skin with him right at the end. As, you know, is he, do you, do you feel like he's essentially, we're, we are going to, we're going to start over. We're going to develop a mom son relationship. Or do you think he's just like, oh, I just want you to make this up to me. <laughs> you know, I, I love Rennie. I admire him. I'm, I, I am not as good as him. I know he is, he is fantastic in my mind. Uh, I, I think he's, um, I think he's giving her a gift. Um, you know, he's, I don't think he's forgiving her and I don't think he's letting her off the hook. Um, and I think he knows that there's a lot of work to be done, which is part of why I want to keep writing this, this relationship. Um, Cause there's, I think there's a lot more going on there um, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but it, but I think he is, he is, an evolved creature in a way. Um, you know, he has, he has been in such a fragile, vulnerable state physically for so much of his life. Um, and that, you know, like the way that, you know, I'm going to be a, a superhero nerd again, but the way that like daredevil has all these heightened senses because he's blind, um, for Rennie, his, his emotional sense is so strong and so deep. Um, and, and he has so much power around trust and, and, um, you know, just his emotional intelligence because physically he's been, um, fragile. So I think by, I think at the end he's, he's ready to embark on whatever the next step is. I love this contrast that you just sort of mentioned with, you know, his physical fragility yet very strong, emotionally and mentally because he was put through you know the ringer to get to that point contrasting against his mom who maybe was physically fine but very emotionally and mentally fragile well the the line that stopped me in my tracks was that's not fragile it's weak and i and what i loved uh, like i could we could do an entire episode on that line based <laughs> from in my in my perspective I could talk to you for a very long time and we could do a deep dive on that um a I loved that 
it wasn't necessarily building to that. That wasn't the emotional crux. Like we had so much more to learn from that. We had Alana coming through with the monologue after that. Um, so that is this huge, huge monumental line and omission and revelation and um, clarification uh, that comes kind of in the middle or the beginning, really. It's actually the beginning of, of their conversation. Alana is really ramping up there. Um, it stopped me in my tracks though, because it's so true and it's so clear and we often want to make fragile and weak synonymous and they truly are not. I love to ask you, um, when that realization came to you and if that is an idea you've been carrying around for a while that you like intentionally wanted to put into plays or infuse into characters, or if that was something that you've known and were like, this fits here, like to talk to me about that moment and your personal relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the first thing I'll say is that, you know, my favorite actors are the actors who are emotionally accessible. I like to think of it as access there. They have access to all those emotions. Um, Cause it's not that it's, it's, it's vulnerable, but in service of the character, um, it's not like, like psychically, you know, it, it's, which I think is what he was saying, you know, about, about it not being weak. Cause I, yeah, an actor that lets themselves be vulnerable is, is accessible. Um, they have, yeah, I just, I love that. Um, but it, you know, there's, um, there's something that happens for me when I'm writing that, um, you know, sometimes I'll be writing and, you know, and I'll, and I'll, you know, I, luckily I, I have, this, this office room where I close the door and nobody can hear me. Cause I'm, I think I'm probably talking to myself all the time. I probably sound like a complete nutcase. Um, you know, like I'll be laughing, whatever, but I know like sometimes I'll write something and, or I'll, I'll talk to my husband in particular because he's, he's my, my dramaturg. Um, he's an actor and director and I talk through scripts and things with him. But if, if I, if I speak about an idea out loud or a line out loud, and my eyes start to water, like I start, like I literally am, you know, about to cry. I know that that's the right thing to put in the play because I've I've accessed something true. You know, the the men that I that I love that I gravitate to are the men who you know are, are you know have access. There's that word again. Who have access to their emotions. Um, you know, and it's not just as actors, but you know they they know what they're feeling. They can talk about what they're feeling. Um, and I feel like you know that kind of emotional intelligence is, um, you know, it's, it's wonderful, whatever gender, whatever, you know. Um, but I think it's, yeah. it's, I'm, it's, I hope that I've raised a son who also is like that. Um, you know, um, but I, you know, I think for Rennie, that is part of his strength. Um, did you always know that that was going to be the title? Was it that particular line or that um, discussion that, illuminated it for you it so it there's a very specific so my um my my sister-in-law passed away at the age of 40 um a few years ago and um you know very young very you know it, it was it was it was a, it was a family tragedy um and at her at her funeral her father spoke and her father said uh you know, just in talking about her growing up, he said, you know, we always knew, you know, this little girl is fragile. And that, that line, this little girl is fragile, just 
it um it never left me you know and this is i guess is it five years ago now it's it's several years ago now before i ever thought about writing this play um but the idea you know that just that that line this little girl is fragile it, coming from a parent just just echoed with me i couldn't i couldn't let go of that that sentence um well and there's it's funny you kind of hit on something that I had with, or I kind of wonder how prevalent it is with parenthood. I definitely had this. I had twin girls last year. They just turned one year old. And when they were maybe three or four days old, we just brought them home from the hospital. I looked at one of my daughters, her name's Piper. And I don't know how to describe it other than there was just this almost listlessness to her. Where I knew I was, I was like, I'm looking at a baby that's hungry. And I just, it was like this light bulb mom moment. Um, and I realized I'm looking at, I'm looking at this hungry baby. And, and I had other people in my house that were, cause my parents came to help and my husband was home and it was wonderful, but to have all that help, but that didn't see what I saw. I will never be able to not see it. I will always see that in her. And the, the word fragile is almost perfect where you're just, oh my gosh, I just need to. So I just wonder if parents to a certain extent, if there's almost like this radar, you see things in your kids that other people don't because, um, is it Alana? Am I saying the character name right? But she, she walks in and she wanted to know from him, didn't you have a sense when I walked in who I was? You said I reminded you of someone and you know, she she just had that sense, that history. I just feel like maybe there's something about like parents and their kids. He was able to see in his little girl, that little girl is fragile. Maybe no one else saw that, but he, he saw that he could identify that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, you know, in terms of, of Alana and Rennie, I mean, I think she needs something from Rennie that he doesn't need from her. You know, she's needier than he is. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, but I understand exactly what you mean about the parenting. Um, it, you know, in a different one of my plays, um, you know, somebody talks about how, you know, they're trying to explain to a young person, um, you know, how this, this, this young woman has a terrible relationship with her father. And one of the father's friends, you know, is trying to explain that, you know, when he looks at her, he sees all, her at all the different ages. He doesn't just see, you know, her in front of him, um, you know, and that's kind of the thing. Like, you, yeah, you look at your children and you, you see them at, you know, from babyhood on, even though you know, my, my son is 22 and I still look at him and think, God, I remember when he was four and he had his first migraine and I was like, you know, and like that, you know, that horrible experience, you know, I like, I'll, I can't just see the person in front of me. Yeah. It brings up that, which you do bring up in the play. Right. And Rennie calls her out and says like, I don't need this you need this, right? That's the end there. And it brings up that other universal thread of <sighs> when do children stop becoming children? When do parents, like, right? Um, my brother and I, so my brother is younger than me. He's four years younger. And um, he's a 33 year old man who's married and, um, you know, going to have kids himself soon, uh, we're assuming. And I still look at him as the little boy who I would dress up and put in and out of the crib. And we're very close. And he and I have conversations often about our parents and um, how 
sometimes they don't see us as the grown adults that we are and how sometimes we have to make the decisions about whether or not now as they are getting on in age should we be parenting them or not and it's it's a very universal feeling and that was another thing that comes in where Rennie is a grown man now and he does have that and he has done the work like you said and he's accepted a lot of it and he says okay we're gonna do this and these things are because you need them and it is okay to show that the parent is needy and the parent has um some of that so once again it's just I love that in these it was another thing we keep coming back to is especially this season in these short plays um we have playwrights who are from all different walks of life, who all have all different processes, but will bring in their experience and it becomes this universal truth that just really unites an audience. Um, so I just, again, not, I just love that. And I love that we can sit here and kind of dissect this and maybe we're not particularly asking questions, but um, there's so many layers and, and that, that they can be put in a one act play is always so impressive to me. Um, I do want to switch gears if you're okay with this, Christy. I kind of want to go back, proclaim that you're a comic book nerd, superheroes, you're going to be at Comic-Con. Um, that is such, again, right, so many different communities. The queer community really has latched on to many superhero stories. Um, the, you know, uh, differently abled community, right? Like, you know, we have people who are maybe not fully able-bodied and have really seen representation through that in the comic book, um, you know, and, and superhero realm. So we have a whole bunch of different communities that have really felt seen through that. Um, and it allows for great fantasy, which is another word we've used throughout this interview before. You mentioned that you're looking into expanding Fragile, perhaps a longer play, perhaps a musical um, what have been some of your thoughts and fantasies and drafts been like around style with an uh, expanded version of Fragile? Because for me, I hear superhero and you could get into some magical realism. You could get into some real theatrical devices. So what would that look like for you for this? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the other, the other superhero musical of mine, um, goes back and forth between the real world and the comic book world. So you, you get like super powered people and like, it's, it's very, um, it's very fantastical when it's back in the comic book world. And um, the comic book world is, is Coney Island um, in the 1920s. So it's really, it's really out there um, with this one. I, you know, I, I could see, I don't know if you guys have been watching um, uh Kamala Khan, uh, you know, Ms. Marvel um, on Disney Plus. But one of the things that they're doing in that show um, is, you know, it'll go in and out of, it's primarily, you know, uh, live actors, but it'll go in and out of some drawn things and, and um, you know, like bursts of, of, uh, of comic book art and, and, you know, her scribbles and, and doodles. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm, I, one of the things I'm thinking about, and I, I don't know how to do this, but I would, you, know, you said fantasy, so here's fantasy. Um, if what Fragile were was a pilot for a TV show, say, um, then what it would be is this comic book shop where, you know, Rennie is this proprietor who has these, you know, superpowers, you, you know, human superpowers, 
where, you know, sometimes he's hosting a thing for musicians. Sometimes he's, you know, he's making a home for all these people who need a community. Um, but the underlying thread of it is that he's also rebuilding his relationship with his mother throughout it. But then you've got all these other people coming in and out of the shop, you know, from week to week with different storylines. And Rennie is there in some kind of, you know, I don't know, overarching supportive way. Um, and then it's, it's not a play as much as it's a series, but that's if it were TV rather than, than stage, I could also have moments of, you know, different genre, you know, some like Scott Pilgrim, like suddenly you see, uh, you know, you know, pow, whatever the like, you know, sound effect moments, you know, visually and, um, you know, and, you know, one of the things I love about Comic-Con is all the cosplay. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so much room for cosplay if I've got other people coming in and out of the shop, um, you know, and, and, I, you know, I, I heard a little bird told me that there's going to be the first Comic-Con in Chattanooga um, in, in October. And I would imagine that some people who are there for Comic-Con are going to find Infinity Flux um, and, you know, be coming in and out of the store. And maybe there will be some cosplay going on at Infinity Flux. I don't know. I hope so. Um, so. So, yes, I guess that would be awesome to have some kind of crossover between, you know, comic con culture um and you know the actual you know and the story going on in the the comic book store i don't think i'm gonna go with superhero but with six real like full-on fantastical powers with this one because i think part of what i'm exploring with it is the the powers that are actually at our disposal in the real world um you know and Rennie has them so yeah and i and i so yeah, I don't know. I, I love superpowers, but I think I think this I think this one's more more emotional superpowers. This this play definitely made me wonder about my own superpowers, if that makes sense, in the same vein that you were talking about of like, okay, forgiveness or emotional regulation or like taking a moment and breathing and not saying the first thing that I would like to say because I won't actually feel better. I will actually feel worse. All that, like, okay, so what's you know, I'm sure that you know, we all do have a secret identity, even with the ones that we love. So I, I loved that. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, and her leaving is kind of his origin story. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's the, the radioactive spider that bit him that, you know, made him have to, you know, become who he is. So, um, you know, but, but I'm hoping that this moment, you know, at the, at the very end of the play is her origin story you know, that like, this is the beginning of her rebuilding. Um, so. Well, and I think they even said that towards the, the end, essentially that she wouldn't be who she was today in the shop. Had she not left and come back and he wouldn't be who he was had she not left. Well, and it ties so well into what we've been talking about this third season of major events, right? We cover, um, a, you know, country global major event of of 9-11 you have the major event of illness and death and then they each have major events in their own life and yet I think again we're coming back to they've all survived them and they're all relatable in this way that are they were major in their lives at these events were major in their lives at that moment and yet they still can be told in a mundane way. They are still living a day-to-day life. And what's 
really cool about fragile is that it plays off that juxtaposition of like fragile can be strong, fragile can't be weak. What you've done is oftentimes in theater, we want to dramatize and we want to theatricalize everything. And what you've said is, no, let's keep it grounded in reality. Like the origin story is mom leaving. It's not being bitten by a spider. The origin story is me assuming a new identity. It's not me, you know, like, I think that's what's really cool for someone who's so into that universe that you actually flipped it and said, no, let's keep this grounded. Let's keep this attainable. Oftentimes we take those things and throw them into a multiverse and you're like, "Mm, let's put them back down on earth, Um, which is really cool that you've done that. I want to ask one more question before you wrap up, Christy. Did you have anything lingering? Well, I know because um, the benefit of having playwrights back a second time is we've already talked about your process and your origin story as a playwright. We do know (laughs) some of that. Um, So I just wanted to ask you um, as a returning guest, as we get a little deeper, is there a play or a genre or something that you're really like aching to write? Is there something out there that you're like, oh, I want to challenge myself to, to write a full length or, you know, you've done musical. What, what, what out there do you feel like is still something you're reaching for? Um, I want to write a full on sci-fi play. I want to do something where I can, I can do when Star Trek at its best, does the metaphor, you know, of things that are going on, you know, in the real world and just putting it in space so that you can, you can take it in. And so it's not polemical. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to use sci-fi um, and fantasy, you know, melded with it um, to explore, you know, real things happening in the real world. But I don't know what that story is going to be yet. Um, I do also kind of want to write a full on verse play, um, which is something that I think is super, super hard to do. And I don't know if I'll ever actually do it. Um, well, we can't wait to hear both and or either. But if you do that verse play, you have to come back and talk to us about your process for that. Because I'm sure everyone <laughs> will be dying to hear because there are not many verse plays new anymore. I mean... Um, we will give you the floor again to just, um, if anyone who maybe is new to Lights Up this season and hasn't heard any of our previous episodes, we'll give you a chance to remind our audience of where they can find you, whether that's um, social media accounts, uh, New Play Exchange website, whatever, and then we'll wrap up with our final three questions. Sure. Um so yeah, you can find out more about me uh, at my website, which is danaleslegoldstein.com. And uh, I'm also on Instagram. Um, it's I'm at Shadowlask, which is a superhero name. <laughs> so yeah, like full circle. Um, I'm, and uh, I'm, I'm also on NPX. So you know, not all of my work is on NPX, uh, but you can find most of it there. Um, and I've got uh, a couple of publications out too. Um, if you're anywhere near the drama bookshop, um, there's a collection of my short plays um, there, um, which does not include uh, the God part or fragile. It's three other short plays, um, but the God part is published in um, the best short plays of 2021 uh, by Smith and Krauss. So that is also gettable. Um, and uh, there's a monologue from fragile. That's going to be in the 2022 uh best men's stage monologues. Um, so that's also uh, out there. 
Um, if you go to my website, there's in the publications page, there's a list of ways to get all the different books. Do you have a word, either as a writer or just a word that you like to hear? Do you have a favorite word? Oh, boy. Um, I, I, the first word that popped into my head was fragile. <laughs> so, I don't know. That seems, that seems too self-aggrandizing. Um, but, <laughs> um, but it is what popped into my head. And, I, and in, the, in the spirit of, you know, Dana saying, you know, fragile, different from, you know, from weak and the, you know, vulnerability and whatever, you know, your, your teacher, I, I'm going to go with fragile just because I think, you know, the, all the positives of being fragile and allowing yourself to be fragile um, make, you, make you an artist. So. We, you can, some of these questions we've asked you before, so the answer could be the same, the answer could be different, doesn't matter. Um, but in that same spirit of what Chrissy asked, it doesn't necessarily have to be your all-time favorite, but uh, do you have a favorite or a special uh, setting or location that is personal to you? Oh boy. Um, I might've said this last year, um, but it hasn't changed if I, um, the, the end of the dock at my in-laws. And this year I discovered that partway out on that dock, there's Wi-Fi, So I can, I can sit there with my laptop and actually even write and do work on that dock. So it became even better this year than ever before. Um, um, all right. Last one. Is there an item, a keepsake, a totem of sorts that you, that is particularly precious to you? Okay. Well, I, I, I showed you my Wonder Woman plane last year, the invisible plane. So this year, um, I, this also was not something I planned, but it's, I think it's kind of perfect. Um, so I have a pinball. Um, I guess nobody can see it because it's, it's a podcast, but I have a pinball from the Pinball Museum in Chattanooga. Um, my son got this last summer when he was he was there doing this engineering program. Um, I love the Pinball Museum. I love pinball. Um, and we spent an afternoon there. But so when he came back, he got me a pinball from the Pinball Museum, and I've had it on my desk. And I will say it makes a really good paperweight if you put it in something where it doesn't roll. But it's also just great to hold in your hand. Like you can kind of squeeze it and it doesn't, it doesn't give cause it's metal, but it, but it like has a really good fit in your fist. Like it's, it's um, yeah. So it's a little bit of Chattanooga on my desk. <laughs> we love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's like you carry us with you. The Ensemble Theater Chattanooga and the Lights Up Podcast were one of 11 organizations across the Chattanooga Valley to receive grant funding through the Sustaining the Humanities Through the American Rescue Plan. As part of this podcast, for each episode, we would like to highlight one of the other organizations receiving a sharp grant. Ella Library, Eastlake Language and Arts. Story sharing. Stories have the power to change the world, and everyone deserves to be able to share their story. That sharing is more than just telling. Stories build community, and our community is Chattanooga, Tennessee where we live, work, and play in the East Lake neighborhood. Together, we can create a healthy and thriving community with our library. We love reading and hunting for books that are going to inspire, motivate, and empower. We believe that everyone should have access to books that show them new worlds 
and allowed them to see themselves in the stories. Books are our gateway to story sharing. The heart behind it all is that we aim to nurture the expression and exchange of knowledge and culture through story sharing, using different modes and mediums of artistic expression to connect the people of Eastlake. We believe that story sharing inspires positive social change and helps our community gain understanding of themselves and others. Storytelling. What if we ask students about their sense of place? What if we asked them to tell us a story? What if we decided that it would be amazing if we listened and worked with writers and illustrators to bring their ideas to life? Thanks to funding from ArtsBuild, our what-ifs became and then. A visual, literacy, artistic expression set in our neighborhood of Eastlake. For more information on Ella Library, visit them at ellalibrary.org. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the express written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or a reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ATC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ATC, please visit our website for details. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Thank you.